0: Hello. Welcome to Lamniforms Radio, a podcast where I interview musicians and artists about their latest projects. My name is Ian Corey, and I am the songwriter in the band Lamniforms. I love learning about an artist's process, their intentions, and who they are as people. Today, I am joined by Christian Segerstrom, the head editor of Mathcore Index and the owner of Dark Trail Records, christian and i first met while i worked at invisible oranges christian invited me to cover mathcore index festival in 2018 at saint vitus in brooklyn and i was blown away by the talented community that the blog had built around such a niche style of music Uh, some of the musicians that i met that weekend went on to be early guests on this very podcast So I knew that eventually I'd have to have Christian on himself so that I could talk to him about how he built the MathCore Index brand through festivals, podcasts, and his Patreon. We also talked about his record label, Dark Trail, and how these two projects intersect. Thank you for listening. And where is here? Just to, just to be clear.
1: Eureka, California. It's in Humboldt County.
0: Right. That's where Mr. Bungle is from. Exactly. Is that right? That's right. I, I've been to Arcadia, and we stopped by a Starbucks in Eureka, but that's like the most of my experience with that edge of the country.
1: Yeah, Arcadia is where the uh, that's where HSK is. That's it. Yeah. yeah.
0: And so you grew up in Eureka?
1: No, actually, I um I lived in Sonora, California, which is near Yosemite until I was, like, 22 or 23, and then I moved up to Humboldt, uh, and then I moved uh, to San Francisco in uh, 2012, and then uh, now I'm back.
0: So, I mean, mean, the Mr. Bungle thing is obviously, like, top of mind because I think that there's a lot of overlap between that sort of, like, really out there, extreme experimental metal stuff and the sort of stuff that you cover, even if it doesn't always sound precisely the same. Mm -hmm. So I do kind of, like, associate this, like, Really, really challenging uh style of heavy music with like Northern California in general. So, was this sort of like extreme metal and mathcore and like out there hardcore stuff like a re- something that you were growing up around, or how did you stumble across this sort of stuff? So,
1: I you know I was a big fan of new metal and like Rage Rage Against the Machine and Deftones and that kind of stuff growing up. You know, I had some friends who turned me on to that, and then when I got into high school, uh, a couple of my friends. Knew about you know Dylan's your escape plan, and they knew about uh stuff like Converge, and so they those people were the ones who like really turned me on to that music. I basically started like driving to shows when I was like sixteen to San Francisco like alone, just because there's not much of a scene in Sonora and not many people, you know would would go out there for shows so. But yeah, it's just kind of weird that I would end up back in Eureka, too, because it is so much the uh, the home of that kind of stuff. I think when I moved up here, my, my interest really started to peak with that stuff because um, there's so much weird, you know, just weirdo music up here. So many house shows. I, I think that's definitely what fostered the weirdness of bands like Bungle. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm not sure if we talked about this before, but I was in a band up here, too. And uh, definitely, you know, taking notes from them. For sure.
0: What was your band? I wasn't aware that you were in one. Sorry.
1: Yeah, I was in a band called Antarctica. Uh huh. Basically, we were just like ripping off Daughters and uh, the Sawtooth grin and like you know Tower of Roma and those like super like screamy grindy like mathy bands. But yeah, it's uh, the community up here is really really strong for that kind of stuff. You can there's there's still like those mixed bill shows up here. I mean, obviously not right now, but in in recent history there's been shows where there's like a death metal band and like a grindcore band band, a screamo band and you know, like a synth combo, like <laughs> just totally like mishmashed bills like all the time. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's this area definitely like fosters that and, um, nurtures it for sure.
0: What do you think it is about this area that sparks that kind of eclecticism and cross collaboration and out there shit? Like, why do you think it happens to be here? <laughs>
1: I don't know cannabis. I would say it probably plays a very large part in that. Just, to, I, I didn't want to. That's up like my knee jerk response anyway. You know, just I think people are just more down to hear all kinds of weird shit, like with an open mind. Presumably, I think that might have something to do with it, or at least just contributes to the. Like the the um, the overall open mindedness up here,
0: also sort of, I would imagine kind of the long tail of the experimental movement from San Francisco in the '60s and whatnot would eventually sort of filter out to other styles of music. And obviously, there's like neurosis and all of the more out there shit that was happening in the Bay Area mm-hmm. too, outside of just San Francisco. Yeah, I I you know as as funny as it is to say the weed thing, I don't think you're entirely wrong because you look at what's happening in Colorado since it legalized and like the metal scene just like went into overdrive. Dude, the doom you know. and
1: stoner scene out there is huge. Like it's as big as it's ever been with primitive man. Everything that Ethan McCarthy does obviously is like really mm-hmm. fucking good. So yeah, I feel like he's, he's a big cannabis enthusiast as far as I know. So <laughs>
0: yeah. And I mean, they they just, uh, just legalized in New Jersey. So I'm expecting to see some really fucking out there bands coming out of there any, any day now, you know? But, right. But yeah, when when did you start playing music and like, are you a guitarist or what, what's your instrument of choice?
1: Yeah, I'm a guitarist. I had already been playing music in like marching bands and uh, I actually studied music in college. Guitar is my mm-hmm. focus. That's my main instrument. Um, and when I moved to Humboldt, I actually joined my first band, a deathcore band, and played a few shows with them. And then I, I joined up in Antarctica, which is, you know, as a mathcore band. So that was like... uh you know, I, up until then, I, I mean, I liked Mathcore, but I wasn't really, like, the biggest... It wasn't, like, my, my biggest passion, and I think at that point, it it definitely turned into my biggest passion. Dillinger had always been my favorite band, but, you know, Black Dahlia was, too, so I'd always been kind of... Uh, I'd always enjoyed both sides. I really like, you know, I like death metal a lot, I just, like, brutal fucking shit, and there's there's inevitably been some crossover between the two genres, too, of course, so... I think more and more my my interest has started to kind of shift into less. Um, I don't want to say that death metal is traditional, but mean anyway, let's be honest. The, the sound is completely homogenized for the most part, you know, with some rare exceptions like bands like you know Pierron and asatis and. A few death metal bands, but there, you know, they're definitely, there's a ton of crossover between them too.
0: Was it like, when you said that you went to music, uh, went to school for music, were you studying like classical or what, what was your focus there? Yeah.
1: I mean, of course you, you inevitably study classical because that's just what the the curriculum entails. No, I didn't really like, I wasn't like studying composition per se. I was studying music theory. Um, I didn't really take any composition courses though. I mean, in that case, I probably would have been really dissecting composers a lot more, but no, it was just like musicianship, um, music theory, choir. I was like, I had to be an ensemble, and then um, like guitar lessons, like all simultaneously, like four different, five different music courses.
0: Do you think that having that slightly more academic, slightly more theoretical background helped, like, nourish your love for the mathier, more complex stuff? when you did start playing it.
1: Yes, absolutely. I think that that made me definitely appreciate... I think that definitely made me appreciate the more unorthodox approach... Um, approaches, rather. More unorthodox compositions, less linear compositions. Yeah, I think it definitely made me appreciate that a lot more.
0: Yeah, because I found that like there's a few different ways in to this style of music. Like As you said, there's like a crossover between the you know more hardcore oriented complex stuff and the more like metal oriented complex stuff and so you know you do especially like with bands like Piron you see death metal musicians that are you know not really dissimilar from a lot of the more extreme hardcore stuff and i've noticed especially in new york that there's a large like new music component to a lot of this you know like the whole behold the octopus mm-hmm generation of bands that were all kind of around brooklyn at that time there's clearly a lot of like theoretical stuff that's backing up the sounds it's not just like insanity for insanity's sake like there's some sort of framework underneath it yes it's
1: very well informed
0: at what point did you start like did you were you like touring with that band or how how far in did you get into the uh performance side of the music world
1: yeah so we did some regional tours and recorded an album and uh that, w- that was about it you know it wasn't like it wasn't really of much consequence at the time I think that in retrospect the band has accumulated three or four times the amount of interest we had when we were actually playing shows as I think is inevitable of these kind of bands people just kind of take you for granted when you're playing a show every weekend like, I must have played 200 gigs with Antarctica and like, the two-year stint that I was with them, which is really not, I guess, a lot from, like, a professional standpoint. And you know, obviously, we were just amateurs doing regional tours. But uh, for me, it was, like, everything. Like, it was, it was amazing to do that. I'm really glad that was something that I did. I wouldn't take that back for anything, but... Yeah, it didn't really um it didn't really go beyond that though.
0: How did it wind down? Like what was what led to uh to you no longer being part of that project?
1: I, I think just um I, I was the one who wanted to take it seriously. I wanted to like tour nationally, I wanted to like make it my my profession. And uh the rest of the people in the band didn't really see it that way for them. It had just been more of a fun outlet and they had brought me in to help finish, you know, write this album. I think maybe I sort of turned it into more of work for them than they wanted it to be because i pushed them hard and i made sure that they weren't uh, there's a lot of derivative stuff on our album that i was trying to prevent from happening so there was like kind of a a push and pull about uh you know the songs that we were working on and i think it just finally came to a head to the point where i i didn't want to continue ripping off other bands and i wanted to uh to just move on and they, they started doing their own thing. And of course we're still good to this day. And we, we've tried to resuscitate the project uh, numerous times and, and failed every time, unfortunately. But
0: yeah. When you mentioned that, like, that's definitely like a, a age old story, especially in hardcore of, you know, band becomes more famous after they break up. I, I'm sure that as you watch that happen, the feeling of like, Oh man, maybe we could do something probably intensifies over time too. Like
1: mm-hmm.
0: maybe that bigger payoff that you were working for before, splitting might be able to happen if you were to get back together now with like a larger audience.
1: Or you could just totally humiliate yourself by <laughs> trying to do something that maybe wasn't that great to begin with. And <laughs>
0: <laughs> of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so after you parted ways, did you start playing other music or at that point, did you start shifting more into the role that you kind of take on now in the scene of, you know, highlighting other bands and releasing other people's records? Like what was the path from, from playing to the more like behind-the-scenes stuff.
1: I, th- I think you you nailed it right there. I think for me it was just a way to still be involved in the scene in a significant way. If I, if I couldn't contribute in a band, um, I was basically unable to do so my entire time in San Francisco because of uh, either living conditions or just unable to find musicians with similar interests. I, I mean, what, regardless of what anyone tells you, the the interest in extreme music in the Bay Area that is not black metal or crust punk is very, very limited. Like, people come out mm-hmm. for shows from the suburbs, but the people who are actually living within the city limits are really not like whatsoever interested in extreme music. I think the artistic community has been entirely pushed out into Oakland and, again, the suburbs. Uh, so it was just a really much, you know, it was a struggle for me to find anyone to play music with this whole the whole time I was there. And I'd already been, um, when I first moved up to Humboldt, I'd started a little blog that was just kind of a way for me to share music recommendations with my friends so instead of just texting them relentlessly with all these you know links I just put it up on a, a blog spot and that was called Broken Circuit Monologue and I did that for about three or four years and uh, I I kind of gave up on it when I started playing with Antarctica uh, and then when I moved to San Francisco I started doing that again again because I just didn't have a, a musical outlet anymore uh, other than just playing music by myself in my bedroom like recording riffs and such which I'm still doing to this day I've got like an album worth of material that I haven't released yet because I'm trying to um, get the right people in on it. So yeah, I kind of stepped into that role just to to still contribute to the scene. Um, again, if I couldn't contribute musically, I wanted to share other people's music and sort of you know help nurture a sense of community for people who like this kind of stuff because I really didn't feel like there was any sort of... I mean, there wasn't really any sort of voice promoting these specific bands at that time. Uh, which is how I kind of like got met. I know I linked up with Simon, who was the founder of Math Core Index. Uh, I'm not sure. I think maybe we talked about this the last time that we spoke at um, at St. Vitus, but Simon Ricard is actually the guy who founded Math Core Index. He brought me on in uh, in 2012, and uh, mm-hmm. he, that's when he kind of stepped away from it in like 2013 or 14. I became the primary administrator or editor-in-chief at that time for Math Core Index, if you will a title which is self applied. <laughs> um and uh right,
0: you're not getting certified by the bloggers union or something yeah, like that. Exactly. You
1: know? <laughs> Still waiting for my plaque. Um anyway, yeah. Uh so that that's how I, I that's how I kinda like got linked up with Simon. One day he just sort of messaged me and said, you know, uh I like broken circuit monologue. I don't really have as much time to do Math Core Index. Would you like to help me with this? And so that's how I got involved with, with Simon and Math Core Index. And I, you know, I started getting so involved with Math Core Index that I didn't really feel like um, we were representing ourselves enough. We were just kind of just like sharing links. So I started doing, you know, columns. I made a website for it that wasn't just like a, a blog reel of um, of pictures and links. I started doing actual write-ups, you know, mm-hmm. best of write-ups. And that's when I got the idea to do... Um, well, actually, the compilations that I was I think that was like the first like that was the first step up from just like sharing links. That was like where we actually like kind of like made a move into like, you know, this is an organization we want to share, you know, bands with you annually. So uh, we started doing the compilations and then um, my buddy Levi, who I used to live with up here in Humboldt, actually moved down to San Francisco. And uh, he had he's like a big follower of metal injections, so he asked me if I wanted to do a podcast and I had had no previous interest in podcasts whatsoever. So uh, Mm -hmm. he asked me if I wanted to do a podcast and that's kind of how the the podcast got started like four years ago.
0: Wow. So it's been going on for that long. Shit. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, like you mentioned something about the, the way that this style of music has kind of like waxed and waned in popularity to some degree. Like I associate, the math core sound and a lot of the stuff that you cover mainly with like the late 90s through mid 2000s do, is that a fair estimate in your
1: absolutely in your view i think in, i think in like um, in most people's but it's, it's you're right it's it's waxed and waned and it's seeing a resurgence yet again i think with more legitimacy and that was that was what i wanted
0: <laughs> what do you think first caused that like waning moment in the late two thousands and early 2010s. And why do you think it's resurging now?
1: I think it was the rise of gent prefer, you know, just progressive metal in general, becoming way more embedded in the current musical vernacular. Like I, I feel like people really just wanted to sound like Meshuggah there for like 10 years. And it's sort of yeah. like, it's sort of spoiled. I think it sort of just left a bad taste after we just endured deathcore, And then we have to endure gents right afterwards. So I think a lot of people just had a bad taste left in their mouth from that both of those eras. But you know, I love the deathcore era, mind you. Like, I I think it, other than a few albums, like the most obviously tropey albums, you know, there's some really good shit that came out of that time period. Uh, and it's not a dirty word to me. But like what what could be sicker than death metal and hardcore? You know, yeah. I uh, I think it was deathcore and gent that kind of just and and then the the rise of beatdown after that. Like everyone was just kind of. Uh, there there was some other thing that was a bit more popular and just more more heavy, and I think the weirdness has put people off, but now I think that people have been assaulted with stupid fucking breakdowns for just so long. I think now people are finally ready again for like crazy weird technical music
0: uh, do you do you feel like because I feel like once you started putting on festivals, promoting this style of music, and it really seemed like the podcast and the general level of output that Mathcore Index had, I don't want to say that like y'all by yourselves put the genre back into the forefront of people's minds, but it definitely put it back to the front of my mind. And, you know, you were highlighting all these like much younger bands that, you know, when I went out and saw the first festival, I was kind of blown away by the amount, like the youth movement part of it like the fact that it was like people that were not there for that early 2000s 90s version of the sound not at all coming at it with like a totally fresh perspective but also playing it with like real sincerity and authenticity to the to the style itself Mm -hmm. so uh, do you feel like the blog like the blog itself has something to do for why what maybe younger people are catching on to to this style now
1: i mean i don't want to give myself a big pat on the back and say, you know, absolutely. But <laughs> I feel like we've, we've sort of, you know, put it back. Uh, we, we've, we've managed to get it, you know, back in the forefront. I think just, mm-hmm. just through being just, just relentlessly promoting the younger bands and not catering so much to nostalgia worship, just the right amount of nostalgia worship, I think. Cause basically any time of day, day or night, I can be like, Hey everybody, here's botch. And like, you know, 600 likes, Right, right. <laughs> I know you all love Jane Doe, you know, 700 likes. That's, And then, you know, uh, here's a new band, the Dow Boys, 25 likes. But, you know, I share that link over and over again and Premier music video form or whatever. And eventually, you know, people have heard their name enough and now they're paying attention. And uh, sure enough, that that band definitely took off. I think that they're kind of one of the, uh, the main vehicles through which the genre has sort of gained more attention in, in terms of newer bands, because... They just made the mm-hmm. rounds so heavy in 2019 that I think a lot of people were kind of caught off guard by how much they remember liking this kind of music.
0: Yeah, totally. It, it kind of, to your point, like it's it's a much less polished style despite being like super technical and re- requiring a high degree of uh, musicality in order to pull it off. Like, I think that it cuts back to a more physical version of the genre compared to the gent stuff that you're talking about, mm-hmm. which is like so based on like VSTs and
1: overproduction you know,
0: over. Over-produ- well, not even overproduction. Cause I actually think it's like underproduced in a certain way. Like, it's just like, okay, plug in this, these drummers, like these drum machines, these <laughs> presets. On, okay. Fair enough. You're right. You know, right. Like it sounds really well produced, but that it, there's no actual like effort gone into the production. It's just kind of like all like right out of the box. Like, here's how you turn. Dude, Misha fucked up an entire generation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and, and so like when i went went to that math Core index festival in 2018 i was sort of blown away by how like physically punishing the bands were again and how like this style of like really chaotic music it's it is like a certain to a certain extent like much more physically impactful and much more like body music than i think people remembered it to be yes you know
1: I think that has something to do with the uh, the the production on a lot of these albums is more raw. Just to get back to the the production thing, like they're mm-hmm. they're less, as you're saying, they're less polished. Um, they're not always recording to click tracks. I mean, Car Bomb doesn't record to a click track, and their shit sounds, you know, a plus. So.
0: Oh well, I mean, just bringing up Car Bomb, like that, they're kind of a perfect example of the way in which this thing has crested and collapsed a few times. Like when they first came out, I feel like they were one of the most like unheralded unsung bands in like the Brooklyn scene. Like no one was really like people who knew, knew that they were great. But now I feel like they're looked at as like this, like one of the best bands in American metal. Finally, (laughs)
1: finally, finally. I, I, yeah, that's, that makes me so happy because they are, they are so, I still feel like they're unsung. Um, me- Meadow was my my 2016 album of the year, so I did my mm-hmm. best to give them the biggest push that I possibly could.
0: And so, how did the the festival come about? Like you said that you you know you started first like writing up bands and then doing a podcast to cover them. How did you bring that into the real world and start putting on shows?
1: Well, I, I think maybe I was just I think I knew I was sort of on the path to sort of bringing legitimacy to this genre again after doing. You know, the 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 write ups and then the compilations and then the video premieres was another thing that we started that it hadn't been happening until I came on. And then, of course, the podcast, I think it was just kind of a natural step. How do we take this to the next level? And the the fest was sort of the first thing that was tossed around. And I just had such a strong team in New York who really actually put the whole thing together. Um, I mean, I got a lot of the smaller bands, but they got the biggest band and sort of anchored, got the venue, like got us anchored down. Uh, you know, they got cart. it was Sidhu of um, Bon, Jay of Bon, both those guys, they really fucking, they like, they really helped put the whole thing together. So mm-hmm. I-, I had them helping me and once we got Car Bomb on, you know, it was just everyone then was like, okay, you know, I think this is, this sounds like it's going to be legit. So yeah, it was just sort of a natural progression, I guess.
0: And that was one of, you did another one in 2019, right?
1: We've done, uh, we've done one uh, every year, actually. We did one in 2018, 2019, and this year as well. Although this year was a, a digital, but uh, in 2019, it was in San Francisco, or at Oakland, at the Oakland Metro Opera House.
0: What was your thought for taking it from one coast to the other? Was it like a just to try and balance it out, like, you know, showcase different bands on either sides of the country. Like, what was your, your planning for having it be in a different location and, you know, why they are in particular.
1: I think that, um, yeah, a bit of that, you know, wanting to just sort of balance it out and highlight some more West coast bands. Cause most of the bands on that bill obviously were East coast bands, but, uh, you know, people were like really butthurt about the fact that we didn't do it in the Bay area that first year. You know, I got a lot of like messages from my friends and like, yeah, what the fuck? What are you doing this in New York for? Fuck you. Like <laughs> you're an asshole. Do this shit in California in the Bay area or do it in Los Angeles, you know, and this and that do it in Sacramento. So I guess I felt like I needed to make it up to our following and do it in the Bay area.
0: Was your plan originally for 2020 to do it in the Bay area again, or were you looking for different cities? Like what was the non live streamed version of the 2020 festival meant to be so
1: the non-live stream version of the 2020 festival was supposed to be in chicago at um subterranean Mm -hmm. and uh, the original bill i'm just trying to pull it up right now it had a bunch of bands that didn't even actually end up playing the online version of the fest funnily enough let me see where is this shit it was meth um here we go meth gift from god closet witch astraka black matter device snooze the central noise says and black nail it was supposed to be uh mm-hmm. july 11th at subterranean so that was the uh that was supposed to be the, the non-offline or the uh, the non-online one
0: and why chicago
1: meeting in the middle <laughs> <laughs> you know, just as simple as that I was like, okay, you know, I did West Coast I did East Coast Now it's time to give it give it up for the Midwest Because there's a ton of fucking really sick Midwest bands Funnily enough, that bill was actually mostly fucking East Coast bands And a few Midwest bands But yeah, I felt like Wisconsin and Illinois and Indiana And uh, those those states had just like a lot of really good extreme music So I wanted to kind of like do it in the Midwest I, I mean, I, it was going to be that or, uh, or Texas Like I was thinking Dallas mm-hmm. or Austin
0: Yeah, I mean, Chicago does, to me, feel like a great home for it, because even if it's not necessarily like a math core city, it is definitely a math rock city, Mm -hmm. you know. Close enough. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And that's one of the things that I like about your coverage is it's not necessarily exclusive to just bands that, you know, sound like Dillinger or sound like, you know, an albatross or whatever. Like you do cover bands like, you know, Delta Sleep and the sort of more softer but still technical side of the same sound.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're one of my favorite bands of all time, too. I really, really love... I mean, I'm a big fan of uh, Emo, too. Like, I love... Um, I'm, I'm big into fucking American football. I mean, that's kind of a math-rock crossover. I mean, they have some odd meters. I wouldn't necessarily classify them as such, but... Uh, they appeal to the same people, certainly. Truly. You know? They're responsible, by and large, for the whole twinkle movement, if you will. Like, that mm-hmm. that whole v- vocabulary from Never Mint is just so... Uh, unabashedly borrowed left and right from every band you can think of in this scene. (laughs) Um, and yeah, I love, I love this new modern wave of two handed tappy math rock, especially, which is why I wanted to highlight floral and, uh, standards and Rob Ford Explorer, all these really fucking sick duos that just have a really full sound, even though they're just two members. So yeah, I'm a big fan of that stuff too. So I've been, I've been trying to kind of balance it out with, um, bringing a bit for for everybody which you know can kind of work against you i think in terms of putting it, the mixed bill thing is something that people still i think are not like <laughs> it's they're still kind of like thrown off by it because it just doesn't you don't see it anymore
0: yeah i mean it's it's so funny because like when a genre establishes its credibility on you know being forward thinking and being challenging there can be a sort of dogma that then develops out of that and so it's, it's, it has to be challenging, but only in this one particular way, or it has to be, you know, experimental, but not, not experimenting into this, this other territory. It has to be so heavy, think, but
1: no singing. There's the, that's the biggest, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the biggest hurdle for a lot of people where it has to be, you know, really progressive, but no screaming. It's like everyone fucking has got to draw their lines somewhere apparently. But uh, I think mm-hmm. I, I champion musical eclecticism. That's why I like math core. That's why I like math rock. I feel like they're really drawing from all different sorts of places. I feel like it's really modern, futuristic movement. I feel like it is the future, even though it's sort of got origins that are in the 80s and 90s. I feel like it's got plenty of miles, you know, mileage left on it. If you look at Thrash, people are still regurgitating Slayer riffs and their their hardcore bands today, and people are slurping it up like it's fucking the newest shit you've ever heard. Look at Gulch Mm. and fucking, you know.
0: Right, yeah. I mean, just, I'm personally of the opinion that just because a style is old doesn't mean it's like, out of life, You know, if you can write a good song in a particular genre, a good song is a good song. Right. But, you know, th- there's definitely like an emphasis on newness and new sounds and, you know, new techniques that you find in the outer edges of a genre mm. as you would in math core that you maybe wouldn't with the more beat down, straight ahead, hardcore stuff. Truly. And one of the things i found really interesting is like the way that it overlaps with like electronic music. There's that whole like sphere of bands like Frontier or, or uh, what's the other one? Um,
1: Meth which uses a lot of glitchy stuff
0: and like a lot of the like acid house or acid techno kind of sounds that come in from those like British bands mm-hmm. and
1: all of a sudden there's like a break. The, kats, kats, kats,
0: right. Kats. Exactly. And then back into like fucking Bane do some stuff <laughs> yeah, like that. Bane, exactly. Too. Uh, and I think that's a, a really cool thing to see happening. Cause it like sort of incorporating that stuff will always mean that there's new ground. Cause there's always new forms of electronic music and new technologies to incorporate. So having a genre that is like, willing to incorporate that stuff into its sound, I think you're right, like always keeps it on the cutting edge. That's
1: why, I look at Code Orange. I mean, they've managed <laughs> to successfully kind of keep this beat down chaotic hardcore sound going for the entire community by by reinventing themselves again and again, you know, even though, I mean, you can call them cringe if you like, like their, their whole visual aesthetic is definitely, you know, can raise an eyebrow, but they are... They're innovators, you know, they're they're sort of championing they're championing the whole hardcore scene, sort of pushing it forward, I think, in that way by integrating electronic music for sure.
0: Yeah, I think sometimes the bands need to be like you need to have a a big band that is slightly cringe so you can get teenagers into the style in general, you know? Like mm-hmm. it helps to have a band that is willing to go big and maybe look slightly ridiculous if it open if it makes for a wider tent. I think that benefits all of the smaller bands too.
1: Are you saying that pop music is okay, Ian? <laughs> that's what I That's what I want to hear. <laughs> I mean, it definitely has uh, its I, place in this world, doesn't it though? Like there's some popular yeah. elements like Dillinger sort of kind of did the same thing for the math course scene by bringing in a lot more singing, you could argue, you know?
0: Totally, 100%. I do want to get back to your projects in particular because sure. you also run a record label. I do, yes. And so, when did that start up?
1: I had the idea for Dark Trail Records in 2016. I had been talking with this guy, Paul Hundeby, who was, uh, and it's this band called City of IFA. And he had just released this solo project called Arms and a really fucking great album called Blackout in 2016. Mm -hmm. And uh, he kind of came to me and was like, yo, you need to start a record label. And I was like, okay. (laughs) <laughs> so literally, Dark Trail. I, I, you know, I had to give it up to Paul Hundeby. He is the reason that Dark Trail Records existed. He basically told me I should start a record label, and I kind of just agreed. <laughs> and I sort of uh, had it in mind that I would release his uh, his music, his next release as my first release, which didn't actually end up being the first release for Dark Trail Records. But so uh, yeah, that was that was the reason Dark Trail Records got started. Just a just a, a text message.
0: How long did it take to feel like you know? a real label like cuz this is such an interesting thing to have like you know you you've been on like all three sides of the equation now you've been in a band you cover bands and now you also like and then you started releasing people's music too yeah like when did it start to feel like that was like becoming a legit label in your eyes
1: i think it was 2018 cuz i didn't officially announce anything i didn't announce the label until the july of 2017 so that's when i say it was truly established Mm -hmm. But um, we didn't really release anything that year. I just put out like one run of CDs for this uh, super indie band, which I have uh, since stopped working with. So I will not name them. Um, (laughs) I took them off my band camp. No more soup for them. (laughs) But uh, I think it was in 2018 when Connie of CU Space Cowboy asked me if I wanted to help put out a collaborative release for the CU Space Cowboy second second grade knife fight split seven inch. So I think that kind of people are like, Oh, dark trail records. That's a thing. Like, cause I, we didn't really get much attention from the the first release, but I think it was at that point that we started getting a lot more attention. Cause it was like our first vinyl release too. That was when Paul finally came back to me with the songs for the arms seizures split. So that was our second release and second vinyl release. And then, um, yeah, that same year we put out a 12 inch record too for noise says. So I did a lot of vinyl, in 2018.
0: Do you feel like that's a a medium that sells well in this genre cuz I feel like different genres have sort of different places that they like to go to get their particular fix like some mm. genres are more cassette based some are more Uh, digital only. So is vinyl like particularly popular in the math core scene?
1: I think it's a mixed bag. I think for the most enthusiastic vinyl collectors, it is, and there's going to, there's going to be your vinyl collectors in any given scene, of course, but a lot of these people also buy cassettes. A lot of these people also buy CDs. Some of them buy, you know, all three. So it's a little harder to anticipate, but I think if the release is promoted well enough, if the band has enough attention, I mean, if it's like a, a nostalgia release, then it's going to be like shooting fish in a barrel. Everyone's going to want to buy it. If it, you know, if it's the first time it's ever been on vinyl, so that, sure, that's yeah. that's bound to happen. But uh, it, you know, it's a little bit different with these underground releases, these underground bands who only have like a couple thousand, maybe not even a thousand likes on Facebook. It's like kind of a gamble to be releasing vinyl for them, which is something that I learned the hard way in twenty eighteen. So I'll, I haven't been. Super successful. Those final, except for the CU Space Cowboy releases, my other vinyl releases of 2018 weren't exactly successful in their year of releases. They've since, you know, continued to be like a steady, they've been a steady good seller. But um, yeah, you know, it's just, it's kind of a mixed bag because I did a run of CDs for the Callous Dowboys and then I did another and then I did another and then I did two more for their compilation that I released. You know, at this point I've sold like 500 copies of these Callous Dowboys CDs. So mm-hmm. that's a pretty profound statement on that band. But uh, it also kind of just goes to show that you, you never know. People just want to have, they want to have and hold the, the music, you know, they'll, they'll buy whatever they can get.
0: So do you see the project of sort of like promoting and premiering bands and, you know, giving this kind of platform and spotlight to bands on Mathcore Index as being sort of a similar project to releasing music? on your own record label? Like how do you balance those two projects?
1: It's extremely difficult. Um, So for one, you know, upfront, I just want to say that I, I try my very best to not just promote what dark trail records has been putting out. Like that was, a very easy thing to kind of get tempted by. And granted, I still do share my own shit because, you know, fuck you. It's my blog, but (laughs) also um, (laughs) like I very much, I spend so much time, you know, doing research on these other bands. Yeah. Of course, you know, that's, that's, that's like 99% of the content that comes out through math core index. I just happen to be very enthusiastic about the bands in particular that go out through the label. You know, it's a, I consider it to be an affiliate label to math core index, like the very best and brightest bands, are the ones that I am putting out. These are the albums that I love personally the most. That I am really enthusiastic about. It's it's definitely a balancing act of you know not trying to overly over promote the bands that I'm I'm working with, but at the same time, like they're the they're the best bands in my mind. So <laughs> you know I, I get a little um, sometimes I wonder if I'm doing the, the ethical thing by heavily promoting and then releasing these bands' music, but you know, I, it is what it is.
0: (laughs) Sure. I I feel like these scenes are are so, and these communities are so small and so tight knit that like, it really is just like, at least from my perspective on your projects, it seems like you're just someone who cares a lot about this music. So if you can put in the effort to like premiere a band or interview a band or play their music on your podcast, like it just seems like an extension of that, that you would also be involved with the actual physical media of it at some point down the road as well like it's such a right. small scene that like these ideas of like conflict of interest like at, if if you're putting in the work I don't think people are going to call you on it necessarily. Right. And
1: I've been trying to, I've been trying to just promote full transparency in that regard. So everyone knows like hey everybody full transparency. This is my record label, but I wouldn't put out anything that I don't love. So I'm kind of,
0: mm-hmm. I'm kind of
1: definitely like locked into saying that now. So people don't, uh, you know, just just to get that out of the way when I do my write-ups and shit, if I'm talking about bands I'm releasing.
0: Uh, speaking of the community aspect of it as well, uh, I know that, there's a Patreon for math core index and that when you do the podcast, you have like a live chat going. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. How, how important is it to you to have that sort of communal aspect to the site and to the scene in general?
1: Oh my God, man. My Patreon supporters are honestly the ones who keep me doing this. Like I think I would have probably stopped math core index after last year. Uh, the fest wasn't exactly you know like super successful I um, just to be completely honest like it was sort of like an ego blow to me. <laughs> I did not I expected a much better turnout. I'll just put it to you that way um I'm super grateful for everyone who came out and everything, but that was it was at that point that I was like, okay, I need to like figure out how i'm gonna justify doing this going forward after such a huge uh, you know just to be frank a financial loss for me the Patreon thing was kind of a way for me to justify continuing to putting in the amount of time that I've been doing it. Like it was my job. And, you know, I did actually have a lot of, a lot of free time, um, to do that this year. So I kind of doubled down on our content output. We started doing the podcast like twice as much and I started putting a lot more effort into just doing Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook all simultaneously.
0: Yeah. I definitely noticed that there was like a, a huge uptick of activity. You know, it seems like you really went into overdrive, this year. I, I think that this is like do you find that this is like a particularly like online fandom? Like were you able to get that sort of excitement? Like was it or like I'm let me see if how how can I phrase this? Like I feel like some genres exist mostly in the physical world, but it seems like you've found a community that does exist online and does like to talk about this style of music online a lot like what what do you think it is about like the style of music that lends itself to such a strong online community i don't
1: know because it's just uh, it's like weirdo music and there's there's this weirdos scattered all over the place i guess sure yeah <laughs> so enough. um they, they meet somewhere where they can talk about it together and i, I think that's what math Core index is math Core index community
0: and you also have now the spin-off spinoff uh, Screamo Index as well. How did that come about?
1: <laughs> That's um, That was literally – I was just trying to put someone in their place. Like someone was like <laughs> – someone was memeing MathCore Index. like it's more like Screamo Index, like blah, 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 all these, these tight pants soy boys at Screamo Index. First of all, <clears throat> I'm not a vegetarian, um, but uh, <laughs> second of all, fuck you, Screamo time. So I started Screamo Index just to make them like, like a fucking <laughs> asshole. And then I put my buddy Levi in charge of it, who is a total Screamo enthusiast and the podcast co-host, co-host of math, uh, MathCast. Uh, and he is, like, very well-versed on the subject. And he, he is very much versed on, on MathCore and GrindCore and all that shit, too. But Screamo is actually his, like, speciality, so it kind of just felt natural to put him in charge of that. And fuck me, it's, like, gained an incredible amount of traction, like, twice as fast as MathCore Index ever did.
0: <laughs> well, it certainly helps to have the flagship... Promote it. Right. And like give it that initial
1: boost. For sure. Yeah. But it's like it's crazy how much people love Screamo Index, because people love their Screamo, dude. And I think there's no uh you know, you got Zagama Beach Records and like David mm-hmm. running that, his uh his affiliate blog, which is uh Open Mind Saturated Brain, so he kind of does the same thing that I do. He promotes his uh, Zegama Beach Record Bands through Open Mind Saturated Brain in very much the same way that Math Index does Dark Trail Records. So that is why I brought him on as well. I was like, okay, I'm just going to bring in the entire, the most legitimate people in Screamo to do this project and kind of just like sit back and let it grow. You know, I don't really post on there very much, just just occasionally.
0: Sure. I, I like that idea of having this sort of cross-scene uh, solidarity and support, you know, mm-hmm. having like all these various people come in and share their expertise and Boost each other because there's no reason for these like very niche subgenres to not work together. You know, truly.
1: And that being said, I'm I'm actually working on a larger project right now that I can't really talk about to the full extent because it's still in the conceptual phase. But I'm trying to sort of create a network of these index pages, if you will. It's going to be like the index, the music index of some sort. I haven't really thought of the, uh, the the branding yet, but. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm working on something where I can sort of, like, bring an entire network of these very specific, hyper-specific, you know, sub-genre pages together in, like, kind of a network to sort of expand the the traffic between them all. Because there's so much crossover mm-hmm. interest between these music fans, you know?
0: Totally, yeah. I mean, if, as you talked about earlier, like, there's all these disparate influences that even go into something like Mathcore, like you can absolutely start sort of kind of like pull apart those strands and see where they lead into all these other extreme types of genres. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would, I would love to do something for math rock, but of course there's already fecking Bahamas um, and a bunch of Mm -hmm. other like much smaller pages, but Yeah, I would like to I would like to bring in those bring in those smaller pages, you know, bring them bring bring them closer together.
0: So you've also you know, you did a live stream version of the festival. I'd like to talk about that because I find the live streaming stuff super fascinating this year. Sure. How did that come together? What was your goal for it? Like, how do you feel that it went? All that sort of stuff.
1: So I am after the you know, after the blow of 2019, I was super so happy. Uh, I was ecstatic, honestly, with how well the online version went. We had 200 people tuned in every day, um, you know, a hundred to eight, 200 people, basically uh, every day, all, all three days, all four days, actually we did a four day thing. And um, yeah, man, I, that, that basically happened because we couldn't do it, you know, in person, you know, just the, the pandemic. So I, I was inspired by Code Orange. Just to talk again about Mm -hmm. Code Orange, kind of setting the precedent for how we should be going forward uh, musically, and with their with their live performance that was produced by Hate Five Six. I was like, okay, I mean, I can definitely put something together that's similar. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to do like an entirely live stream fest. In the end, it actually being it ended up being mostly pre-recorded sets and just the one live performance, but. Yeah, I was I was really happy with how that went. We we raised like over two thousand dollars for various Black, live, uh, Black Lives Matter affiliates.
0: Do you find like what's your take on the live stream concert as like a medium? Because I think it's very much going to be remembered as a thing that happened a lot this year. But do mm-hmm. you see that medium maybe having like. A future going forward even if actual lives like live shows do come back
1: no there's absolutely no substitute for being there in the basement or on the the floor show or even in front of the fucking barricade surrounded by a bunch of sweaty people nothing replaces that tangible experience of feeling the electricity of other people you know just being totally uh entranced or just in there, in the moment, and just feeling that unity. There's, there's nothing that compares to that. I don't think anything mm-hmm. will ever replace that. I don't think any amount of production or amount of camera angles or whatever, whatever fucking gimmicks. I don't think anything can possibly replace that. But it is, it is a nice substitute for when you're not able to make it. And I think that they'll probably they're going to be forced to make it a thing, even though there's gonna, there might still be people at the show. I think that the the smart thing to do would be to always offer the streaming option because the truest people who are going to want to be there are going to be there mm-hmm. and the biggest fans are going to go to the show.
0: But there's also all the people that are kind of across the world. Cause this is not like a localized American genre right. that would probably love to watch these bands play that can't be there in person at that time.
1: Yeah. So I would love going forward. I would like to see that we, we do offer both, you know, I'd like to see, I'd like to see everyone do both. I feel like there's no, there's no reason in the world that you shouldn't allow someone overseas to pay a couple bucks to watch the show, maybe at a reduced price than what they would have paid to go in person. I mean, that's kind of like the model that makes sense to me. Honestly, I don't even like the idea of charging for for digital shows, but I mean, let's be real. People have to eat and shit, so.
0: Sure, yeah. I mean, it it feels like something that you could maybe tie into the Patreon as well. Like maybe that could be like an exclusive for just people that like already are contributing to MathCore Index.
1: Oh shit, I better start taking notes now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> He's giving me fucking free advice now. <laughs> That's a good idea, dog. I like that. I mean, that was kind of like part of our original incentive, actually. So I'm sort of like left, um, you know, wondering what I'm going to be doing for these these people who thought they were going to be getting, you know, free passes to Math Core Index Fest 2020. You know, like, the, so uh, that was definitely a conversation that I had to have with some of my my supporters for sure, but... Yeah, it's definitely, uh, that, that's a good idea though for sure and allow Patreon supporters to definitely get access to that shit.
0: I'm also curious about what your take is on like the music consumption habits that have formed in 2020 because, you know, obviously there's like the Bandcamp Friday thing mm. and people are, you know, because they're not able to go to shows are really only consuming music online. From From your perspective as like a label owner, have you noticed a a change in the way that people have been buying or listening to music this year.
1: One thing I want to talk about is I'm sort of disheartened by underground bands selling themselves short by basically standing a fucking giant corporate platform like Spotify. You know, it's like mm-hmm. your, is your end game really to get $200 a month check split four ways? Is that really your end game in this? That's what you came to do. Like, I don't know. It just sounds sad. Like, so I feel like there's been a kind of a shift between these to these bands um, not putting their shit on Bandcamp, like it's like you're not even on a you're not even a huge label. Like, what are you doing? Why would you not have everything on Bandcamp to allow people to show their support? Like, I feel like Bandcamp is the best platform it has ultimately has underground artists' best interests at heart. Like, of course, given they are a corporation, but like they're a you know infinitely smaller one when, when compared to fucking Apple Music and Spotify. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there's been kind of a shift towards valuing Spotify, Spotify a bit more just like but it sort of aligns with the whole playlist culture, you know, or just single culture, more more singles being released. That that kind of bugs me just putting out endless singles and never actually releasing an LP. I can't really get a feel for what kind of a band you are or what kind of ideas you're capable of developing unless you put on an LP. So that kind mm-hmm. of annoys me too.
0: Well, but I feel like that's been something that's been of growing trend over the last few years, but in this year in particular, have you noticed more people like buying records on the band camps for the bands that you release music for? Oh yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, I feel like dark trail has a really good band camp presence. Like my shit is exclusively on band camp. I sell all of my physicals through band camp. Like I feel like letting them take their cut is absolutely worth the visibility that it grants. Uh, I think you'd mm-hmm. be lying to yourself if you said that it, they're not doing you a favor by popping it into somebody else's feed. Like, you know, unless you got like, you know, twenty thousand listeners a month, like you're not really going to be doing good numbers on Spotify in terms of like the payouts. So, but there's also there, there's there needs there should be a balance of both too. I just think they're they need to be paying their artists better, basically.
0: Oh, a hundred percent. Like I, I've been riding that wave for a while now, and I'm I'm sort of heartened to see that there's more like you know now that the podcasters. At, at Spotify or you know doing wor- like work stoppages and fighting for better contracts I see that as being like a good sign that if we keep fighting maybe us, the musicians can get a better cut too
1: right because I feel like they definitely have their place in just bringing attention to to smaller bands too I, I feel like they do it in a different way um, but you know they they also i feel like they hire people who don't know anything about music too which is also a beef i have with fucking bandcamp it's like what is your best of metal best metal albums of 2020 list like i don't know fucking I, I know 3 of these albums it's like you're supposed to be championing underground music how are you going to be talking about fucking you know the latest black metal black gaze album
0: <laughs> yeah i don't know how long that trend has to to last that feels like a distinctly 2010s style of music yeah totally Well, do you have any other projects coming up? Anything else that you're working on? Anything that you're excited about for 2021? I know you've got limited time here, so I don't want to hold you up too much, but if there's anything in the future that you're looking to promote or working on, I'd love to hear about it before I let you go.
1: You know, honestly, I'm, I'm at this point, I'm just trying to sort of double down on dark trail records. I I just moved. So it's been a little bit harder for me to keep up on math core index stuff, but, uh, I'm trying to give dark trail records the same kind of attention while not losing too much steam on math core index. So, you know, there's, there's some give and take there for sure. Um, my my goal this next year is to definitely push dark trail records super hard. We're putting out a, a 12 inch compilation for, I can't say who it is yet, but it's basically one of the heaviest and most visceral hardcore bands of like the last three or four years. And they played one of our fests. So I'm really excited to, to fucking release that. Um, I've got Connie Scarbosa of CU Space Cowboy doing the art, actually. Fuck yeah, yeah. But I'll be announcing that very soon. Um, and then I'm also working on, like I said, I've got like a an album's worth of material that I've been working on with um, a few people. I I can't talk about that yet, though. Basically, I can't talk about anything, yet. it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm telling Well, that just
0: means you're working on stuff that's and that's good to hear totally
1: you know I've been I've been like teasing things and not announcing them so at this point I'm just trying to like have a finished product that is ready to just be released and not talked about like hype hype is (laughs) overhyped
0: fair enough man real g's move in silence like lasagna you know (laughs) Um, anyway it's it's almost five o'clock on my end I don't want to take up more of your time so you know thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and uh and you know sharing your thoughts on all this I just want to say like a personal thank you because like a lot of my early guests were people that I met through that first festival and I feel like you really helped reintroduce me to this whole side of like the Brooklyn hardcore and metal scene that I was like blissfully unaware of at the time so thank you for really hooking me into that whole world
1: dude thank you for saying that and yeah it was it was a pleasure meeting you in uh in 2018 I really enjoyed our conversation then so it's fucking it's really great to come on and talk with you again let me know if you want me to have me have me back again sometime
0: Absolutely, yes. Maybe when you've got that record out, I'd love to talk to you about it.
1: That sounds great, man. We'll keep in touch then.
0: Thank you again for listening, and thank you, Christian, for joining me. You can follow his work on MathCore Index at mathcoreindex.com, and you can check out Dark Trail Records on Bandcamp at darktrailrecords.bandcamp.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast on the Apple Podcast app, or you can grab the RSS feed from soundcloud.com slash landforms dash sounds. If you like this episode, leave a good rating or a tell a friend. Thank you so much. See you next week.